Sawbones is a show about medical history, and nothing the hosts say should be taken as medical advice or opinion. It's for fun. Can't you just have fun for an hour and not try to diagnose your mystery boil? We think you've earned it. Just sit back, relax, and enjoy a moment of distraction from that weird growth. You're worth it. <laughs> Hello, everybody, and welcome to Sawbones, a marital tour of misguided medicine. I'm your co-host, Justin McElroy. And I'm Sydney McElroy. Well, Sid, here yeah. we are again. Uh, Justin, I'm really excited to do this week's episode. Oh, yeah? Yeah. it's uh, It was a really interesting thing for me to research and learn about, and I think it's a really important thing. It's something I'm really passionate about, and I'm really excited to share it. You've been talking about this stuff a lot lately. That's so right. I'm interested to learn. Get a little bit more insights, more trivia that I can use to impress you with. Although, if you tell me it on this show, you, I probably won't be able to do that. You can impress other people. Well, other people who aren't me because I told you and also you who told don't. told me the information. Also who don't listen to the podcast because right. then they will have heard it directly from me. So right. they'll know, you know, Stupid. that I told you. So, But there are people, there are probably some people who would listen to you and don't listen to the, Anyway, I have been thinking about how it's really interesting that I feel like, and I don't know, I imagine this is true outside of the U.S. as well, although because in the U.S. we have direct-to-consumer advertising of medications, maybe this is a little more common. I don't know. But I do feel like certain drugs, medications, certain prescription medications, or over-the-counter, I guess, can develop almost like personalities, like cultural connotations. Yes. Right? Yes. Um, some of them I have realized, as I was trying to think about different ones, uh, some of them are probably unique to those of us who are in the medical world. Because you guys are, interact with them a lot more. And yes. And so like I started thinking like sort of like Coumadin or Warfarin, you may know it as, which is a blood thinner. And I and it's like the, the old trusty annoying standard for treating clots or clotting disorders. Um, it's been around forever you can count on it. It works. But mm -hmm. it's sort of like a grumpy uncle that you don't enjoy dealing with because you got to do all these levels and it can be really tricky. And if you eat too much spinach, it messes with it. And so, like, you don't enjoy it, but you would really hate to lose it because for the longest time it was the only thing we had. Um, or, like, I th always think of doxycycline as the most adventurous antibiotic. Uh, <laughs> it's, a, it's kind of a— It can get you out of a lot of tight spots. Yeah. Yeah. For, it's adventurous? You've got just, you know, regular old cellulitis or a COPD flare, or maybe you have an exotic tick-borne infection. Doxycycline's got your back. So I always think it's very adventurous. Or like chlorothalidone is HCTZ's less cool, more clumsily named, underappreciated sibling. Uh, These might just be things that are in my head. No, but there's some like, like if I buy stingers 
at the Flying J, people assume just because I'm buying piles of trucker speed that I'm going to need to drive all night and uh, get cranked on stingers. Is it just caffeine? I don't know. I mean, it's got to just be caffeine. I I mean, like these days, if it's over the counter, it must. Like, you want to do an episode on something? Let's do do an episode on trucker speed because I would love to know that and Stree Overlord. Uh, I would love to. Have you ever seen Street Overlord? No. I'll put a picture I'm, for you to show you. I mean, Street they, Overlord, you can find. Uh, oh, my goodness. It's two different Street oh Fighter characters having sex. It's a, It says exceed Viagra and Cialis. And people think just if, if I'm taking ED pills that I, you know, maybe I just want to see what else is out there. You know what I mean? Right. Push okay. myself to the limits. This isn't you know? exactly what I meant. Um but maybe I just okay. like the way trucker speed helps me parent my kids. Is it called that? A is that the brand name? What? Is that the brand name of it? Trucker speed? Yeah. No, I think they're called stingers. Okay. There's lots of different. Because I, I don't There's think I'm just going to, on behalf of you, I'm going to apologize to our truck driving listeners who perhaps would not like it. Uh, that this, uh, whatever oh, this would, if you showed, supplement I, is, is called I, trucker I guarantee speed? you truckers shout me out. If you see a bunch of ephedrine HCL tablets at the at the, uh, they can't just sell that over the counter. I'm telling you, it's trucker speed. Maybe it's illegal now. I'm yeah, telling you, you can't speed. just sell that to people. Okay, most of these only can, uh, can exist in the confines of the medical world. Obviously, not this. I'm sorry, not my this thing street that you're me. interested it, it, sorry. in. Um, but I think that the drug I want to talk about, the medication I want to talk about today, naloxone, is an exception because. I think it has taken on a cultural connotation that is bigger than just like, here's a medicine that does something in your body, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's, it is like, it's the hero drug. Carrying naloxone is making a statement. I mean, it is a practical necessity. It is an important thing to do. It's like learning basic life-saving, you know? It's, it's, it's an important thing to do as a member of a community. Um, and it says something about you. You care about people. Uh, you care about people even if they're engaging in behavior that might harm them, you know, even if they are acting in a way which puts them in danger. You care about their life despite that and will do what is necessary to help them out. That's sort of the message it sends, right? Like, um, you carry naloxone, you save a life. That's like a rallying cry for harm reduction. It's important. It is a meaningful act, um, and it's a medication. And so I started thinking about, like, how did naloxone evolve into that? Where did it come from? Who invented it? What's the story of it? Um, and how did we get to a point where, like, people wear, you know, um, hats and T-shirts and shoulder bags and these days masks that say, all my heroes carry naloxone? Like, where did that come from? So I wanted to look into that story. Um, before you tell the story of naloxone, you kind of have to, there's a precursor drug that sets the stage for it. And this takes us all the way back to 1944. There was an article published in the Journal of Pharmacology and Experimental Therapeutics, which sounds really exciting, but probably isn't. Do you think it sounds exciting? Experimental therapeutics? Yeah, Ooh. I mean, yeah. It does. I guess it is exciting in a sense, yeah. Hart and Macaulay published an article called The Pharmacology of N-Alanomorphine as Compared with Morphine. And basically, what they had done is taken morphine, the molecule mm-hmm. that is morphine, mm-hmm. they'd taken one piece off of it called an N-methyl group, 
and they had put on an in allyl group. All you need to know is they started with the molecule morphine and made one little switch, okay? That's the that's the point. And basically then they, you know, like gave it to rats and stuff. <laughs> And so, like, how Thank is this? You. What does this do? <laughs> there's there's hey, so hey, much of hey, rat, wake up. We broke this molecule. Let's we'll see what it does now. Now we're going to give it to you. Basically, what they found is that if you messed around with morphine to make this compound, you got something that still helped with pain some, but less. So that seems not as effective, right? Like we made it, we made it less good for hurting, um, but it had the opposite effect on respiration. So as where morphine, if you take a lot of it, can slow down your respirations, your breathing, and you know, way too much cause respiratory depression, meaning you stop breathing. This seemed to stimulate respiration, at least temporarily, make you breathe more, make you breathe faster. Um, it also caused the opposite effect on the gut. So whereas morphine and, and most opiates can cause constipation, this did the opposite of that. And generally, it seemed to antagonize a lot of what the morphine did. What morphine was doing, it was stopping. Okay. So it would. So they published this article, and it was like, oh, fascinating. Interesting. Good job, guys. Good science. And then like a decade passed. Okay. <laughs> because nobody, nobody, I mean, a lot of the time, that's what's really cool. We talk a lot about basic science on this show that doesn't necessarily like, what, what are you going to do with that information? Um, and I think that's the really interesting part about it is that by exploring these things in the world, sometimes you don't see the direct clinical application, the translation of this research. Um, but then a decade later, you do. And that was what happened with this specific compound, which they introduced as nalorphine branded naline. Um, and though it was at the time this compound, which again is like the precursor to, to naloxone, this is not naloxone, um, it was found to have some disturbing side effects. Okay. In addition to these sort of good things it could do, it also can cause some confusion, some hallucinations, some anxiety, some general feelings of like, unhappiness and unwell, um, but it had found a niche. It had found a place to exist. And that what, I mean, because if a drug is going to be branded and sold, it's got to do something that we need it to do. What's and it do? This, this initial compound didn't okay. really. Well, Naline uh, had been worked with by some doctors in Lexington. They were working with the United States Public Health Service, um, giving it to people giving this naline to people um, who had addiction to opioids and they observed that it caused immediate withdrawal symptoms. Okay? Okay. So someone comes in, they're chronically using some sort of opiate, heroin or morphine or whatever. They give them this medication and it immediately puts them in withdrawal. How on earth would that? <laughs> well. How on earth would you find that out? You give it to somebody. Okay, got it. I mean, that's it. Thank they you, gave it to someone. Got it. <laughs> That well, based on this paper, though, because I mean, as I said, like it increased respiration, it reversed mm. constipation. Like you could see where somebody went, well, maybe, maybe it yeah. will undo the effect of the opiate, yeah, which it did. Um, and there was this thought, well, this could reverse an overdose. That's pretty cool. Yeah, but that really wasn't its primary function, because before doctors saw a widespread use for it, the police did, specifically the police in Oakland found a great use for it. Well, great is debatable. They felt like it was a great use. Time Magazine published an article about this in the Christmas Eve issue in 1956, and it's called Drug Detector. Okay. 
the California Bureau of Narcotic Enforcement began using Naline in what they called the Naline test to figure out whether or not a person that they were arresting or wanted to arrest were holding was addicted to opioids. It was a it was a drug detector. We are trying to figure out if you have an addiction. Until then, it was really hard to prove. You would ask people, they may or may not tell you drugs were illegal. So, right. so what you would do is try to hold people long enough that they see would— See if they went into— it, See if they would go into withdrawal, um, which is terrible. And also, I mean, if we're being honest, often they didn't have a reason to hold people— for the, to like detain them for that long. So, and, and that what they wanted to do is try to convict them of a narcotic related crime. Okay. So the Naline test, which is, you can find a detailed description of this. Um, it's, it's, you can find it for free on the internet published by Dr. James Terry and Fred Braumoller in the California medical journal of 1956. <laughs> Basically what you would do is if you had detained somebody who was suspected of using an opiate, mm-hmm. um, you would do your history and physical exam. They did do informed consent. This wasn't, and, and now, this. That being said, you you have been arrested and you are in police custody. Right. So I think anytime the you're talking about, yeah. yes, yeah, I think you have to allow for the possibility that you are going to be coerced into this. But they did, in theory, obtain informed consent from everyone who who received this Nalling test, and before they would give you it, they would measure your pupils, see what their diameter was. Mm. Okay. Then they would give you three milligrams of naline, wait 30 minutes, and measure your pupils again. And basically, there were three possible outcomes. If your pupils got smaller, constricted, that means you don't use chronically because we have just given you this sort of opioid antagonist, which does bind to opioid receptors, so will constrict your pupils. Mm -hmm. But you didn't have anything else there, so it just did the thing it does, constricted Mm -hmm. your pupils. So if... If you didn't use any drugs, your pupils would get smaller. If you do use drugs regularly, meaning in their mind you had addiction, then your pupils would dilate, okay, get bigger. And if they stayed the same, that meant that you used drugs sometimes, but not all the time. So you weren't addicted, but you still may have used some opiates. Now, didn't you say that it could have some pretty harmful side effects? Like, couldn't this be pretty messed mm-hmm. up? Like, Yes, hmm. it could. Uh, some different things that happened in some of the, because you can read in the article about it, a few of the examples. They give you some case studies of people receiving the test, and you might get nausea, vomiting, anxiety, sweating, somebody passed out upon receiving it. Um, the protocol was basically to evaluate the patient's pupils, and then once you had deemed whether or not you thought that they were addicted to opiates, you were supposed to give them an opiate to reverse the effects. <laughs> And giving them the opiate was based on what you gave them was based on, at that point, asking them what they use and how often and how much so that you could either give them morphine or hydromorphone dilaudid, which is even stronger, um, enough to try to end the withdrawal symptoms, basically. Um, And it took different doses. And again, it's all detailed. Every patient kind of got a personal experience so to speak this is horrid and i'm also uh-huh. shocked that it ever came up with anything that would be admissible in a court of law it all it, seems so the legal funny. the legal side of this and that's not my area of expertise and i really wanted to focus on the story of naloxone but the legal side of this i i really want to dig into more because i don't know the answer to that how 
how you could measure a pupillary response and deem addiction. I mean, especially based, I mean, like, this is it. This is the data. This is it. They were doing it, collecting the data, and also saying, yes, you should arrest this person for a narcotic-related crime. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, Yeah, it's Um, quite a stretch. Yes. Part of the protocol was that you don't need to continue to wait to see if they, like, go into further withdrawal symptoms, which would have been really horrible. Um, In part because that's terrible, and in part because um, there was a belief that you could hide them. In hide what? Then you just hide those symptoms. Patients can will them oh, away. Oh, like with the uh, lie detector, how you can yeah. like fake that. You can like but fake the, this. But the pupils you can't fake. Um, the and then of course, the side effects of Nalane made it somewhat uh, less useful for much of anything else. This is the only place that it. And I even and when I say commonly, this was not widespread use across the United States. That's why a lot of when you hear the accounts of it being used are to this one specific part of California where it seemed to have taken hold. Yeah. But the I not a lot of other places were excited about this. Yeah. Um probably because of all the side effects and it's and it's really hard to I would imagine to yeah take to before a judge. Um so it wouldn't be until the 1960s that the next the next um paragraph in our naloxone story would be written. And I want to tell you about that part which is a a happier part, I think. Oh, good. It would almost have to be. But before we do that, uh-huh. let's go to the billing department. Let's go. The medicines, the medicines that escalate macabre for the mouth. We have just started rehearsing for the summer theater. That's right. Summer starts in March around these parts, and that means we don't have much time at all in the evenings to make dinner. But we will not be just consuming Wendy's, uh, although... There will be some Wendy's consumed, but we are going to have a little extra help with Factor, which delivers ready-to-eat, delicious meals right to your door, and not like junky stuff you get out of the freezer aisle, whatever. This is real, high-quality, chef-crafted stuff that in two minutes, you're ready to eat it. I'm talking about some Southwestern-style turkey and mac. I think this week, I'm going to be enjoying a shredded chicken taco bowl is 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 part of my plan. Um, but they got like fancy stuff. Listen to this. Where are you going to get this? Truffle butter filet mignon. I mean, seriously? From 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 a, a box? Pre-prepared? All I got at two minutes? I mean, filet mignon? That sounds delicious. Yeah, it sounds delicious. And you can give these a try. And it's not just these meals. We're talking pancakes, smoothies. They got some great wellness shots that are surprisingly delicious. And the meals you just eat and eat. There's no prepping, cooking, or clean up. Get as much as you need by choosing your meals every week. You're going to get exactly what you want. No surprises here. Uh, f- and th- the meals, I can say, are delicious. So what do you got to lose? Head on over to factormeals.com slash sawbones50 and use code sawbones50 to get 50% off. That's code sawbones50 at factormeals.com slash sawbones50 to get 50% off. Sydney, you know how you're always saying that you'd like to build a Justin McRoy fan site full of all your favorite quotes, clips, videos, and hunky pictures of beloved podcaster Justin McRoy? I don't remember. Well, there's that- no need to wait any longer, Sydney, because Squarespace is going to make it easier than you could possibly believe to make a website uh, all about your favorite hunky podcasting superstar. I don't think I was going Squarespace, to— Squarespace, what is it? It's a tool—think of it as— the palette, the palette of a web design artist. But you don't have to be a web design artist. You could just 
take stuff off the palette that is created by real people that know what they're really doing and put it from the palette onto the easel. The metaphor is broken down. Basically, you're going to be able to create great looking websites that have fantastic customer support and help you unlock your creativity and do whatever you want to with your small business or podcaster obsession. You can sell products. You can uh, post your videos. You can share your stories about how Justin has shaped your life and is also a fantastic father. Folks, you got to stop waiting to make your Justin McElroy fan site. Go to squarespace.com slash sawbones for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch your Justin McElroy fan site, use offer code sawbones to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Since the dawn of time, screenwriters have taken months to craft their stories. But now, three Hollywood professionals shall attempt the impossible. Break a story in one hour. That's right. Here on Story Break, I, Freddie Wong, Matt Arnold, and Will Campos, the creators behind award-winning shows like Video Game High School, have one hour to turn a humble idea into an awesome movie. Now, an awesome movie starts with an awesome title. I chose The Billionaire's Marriage Valley. Mine was Christmas Pregnant Paradise. (laughs) Okay, next we need a protagonist. So I've heard Wario best described as libertarian, Mark. (laughs) (laughs) And of course, every great movie needs a stellar pitch. In order to to get to heaven, sometimes you gotta raise a little hell. Oh, that's the tagline! <laughs> Check out Story Break every week on MaximumFun.org or wherever you get your podcasts. Sydney, uh, you were just about to, the, the things we're about to pick up here, and maybe you're going to reveal to us what this drug is is for, because I'm not even sure we've talked about that yet. Have I not talked about what no, naloxone is for? I don't think you've talked about it that yet. Should I say that right now? No. Say, now okay. it's a twist. Now it's a Paul Harvey episode. <laughs> now people um, are on the edge of their seats. What does this stuff do? Okay. Well, do I need some? Should I be taking it daily? Everyone should be carrying it. With my multivitamin. I'm going to start. Should I be I'm taking gonna... it every day with my multivitamin? No, you shouldn't be taking it necessarily, okay. but you should be carrying it. Uh, okay. So as we've covered, this naline test, this naline medication um, was being used for, I mean- I would say that the ethics of this are well, it's unethical is what I would say. <laughs> I would yeah, I would I would say that. that this test is um problematic for a number of human rights reasons. Um let alone that addiction is a medical condition and a disease and not something that should be criminalized and, and all of that, yeah. which I think everyone knows how I feel about that. Um the the Naline test was certainly not going to be very popular and medical ethics did away with that. Right. Of course. Um, although it existed in the literature well up into the 70s um, as something that you could do. Uh, it wasn't until the 1960s Dr. Jack Fishman would bring something better along. Uh, Dr. Fishman was a That's cancer— a very 1970s name. It is. It Dr. Is very, Jack Fishman Dr. sounds Jack like— Fishman. Uh, uh, like if you just grab so, a doctor randomly in 1971, it would be like, oh, me? I'm Dr. Jack Fishman, obviously. I believe his full name was Jacob Fishman, but he went by Jack. From all the art, the articles I read, he was a cancer and steroid researcher who actually immigrated to the U.S. as a child, uh, escaping the Nazis. Okay. Um, so he was uh, researching morphine derivatives. Again, a, a lot of the things with morphine were we knew this was a, and we've talked about this sort of in the history of opiates. You have these medicines that as soon as they come on the scene, we realize, oh my gosh, we can treat pain in a way we never have been able to before. Mm-hmm. which is amazing and important. 
but they have all these problems, right? Like you can get addicted to them. Dying. You can take too much and you'll stop breathing. They, they do cause horrible constipation, which doesn't sound like a big deal until you've experienced really oh, intense yeah, severe folks. constipation. It's a, it's a huge deal. It's no joke. So he was researching this, looking for alternatives, and he discovered a compound called naloxone. Um, and in addition to, you know, not causing constipation, which is great, even more importantly, it was excellent at reversing an overdose without all of the symptoms that naline would cause. It was very excellent. So if somebody has taken too much of an opiate medication, and it could be something you might get in a hospital like morphine or a Percocet or a Norco, those weren't around back then, but, you know, things today, mm-hmm. or something like heroin, um, whatever it was, opium, <laughs> you could uh, administer naloxone and it would increase the respirations. A person would start breathing again. Okay. I mean, it would save their life. Yeah. So it would reverse an overdose, prevent someone from dying of it. Um And the way this works, in case you're curious, I don't know if you are, is our body has receptors for opiates. Right. We have little like tendrils that are reaching out from your brain. And when the opioids come in, there's part of your brain that's like, oh, oh, give me, give me that. I'll take that, please. And I'll do some different things with it. If you look at pictures in like science textbooks, I always think they, they sort of draw receptors like little cups. Okay. And then they have the little like molecules come in and they're like little balls. And they just like. Yeah, that's for me. It right in the cup. Yep. So we have little cups uh, ready to collect opioids. And um, and that's because we do have endogenous opioids, things already in our body that are like opioids that make us feel pain relief, make us happy, make us feel euphoric. Like those are things in our body. And then we found chemicals out in the world that work on those receptors. That's how most things work. Um, so you have those when they're filled, when they're all, when all those cups are filled up with something like morphine, some sort yeah. of opiate or heroin or whatever, you can overdose and stop breathing. So, and these are called opioid agonists because they act, they work like those endogenous opiates. They like those receptors. Mm-hmm. They they bind to them. Naloxone is an opioid antagonist. It antagonizes the opiates. Like, knocks them off their cups. Get out of here. Get off that cup. That's my cup. This is my cup. I'll, I'll sit here. Yeah, I'm going to get you out of there. And then that wakes you up and you breathe. Huh. And maybe your life is saved. And that's how any antagonist, there are lots of different antagonist medications, but specifically in this case, that's how an opioid antagonist would work. Mm-hmm. Go in, knock off the opiate, and keep you from, uh, you know. <sighs> Do we have anything like this for, like, alcohol or weed or other mm-hmm. drugs? We, I don't, you know, I don't know of one for marijuana, for for cannabis, but I, I mean, yes, for alcohol. I know that because, well, there's that one episode of Get Smart where he had the pill that absorbed all the alcohol. There are also medications, well, I don't want to get into this too much, but there are medications you can take that every time you drink alcohol, you'll have a very violent reaction to it. A very, like, you'll get very sick. Mm. And so that's supposed to, like, sure. discourage you from drinking alcohol. But, um, but yeah, the the idea of an antagonist is well known throughout, like, pharmaceuticals. If we have something that we need to block or stop, we create an antagonist medication, mm-hmm. which is similar to the molecule that binds to it, but blocks it in some way and doesn't have all of the effects of the original molecule. Um, so Dr. Fishman invented this in the 60s. He actually didn't patent it until 1971. And there mm-hmm. wasn't a lot of widespread use for it initially um, because it was prescribed and administered 
by healthcare professionals in healthcare settings. Mm-hmm. So the, really the only place this was coming into play, and it was also given intravenously, IV uh, initially. Yeah. So the only place you were seeing this being used was in like an emergency room if someone who overdosed happened to get there like in enough the time. Use, right? You've limited the use case for it because it's like you've overdosed, but also someone knows enough to get you to the hospital and can get you there in time and then... And isn't afraid of prosecution right, for bringing right, right. you. And uh, yes, all those things. And and so, so you would have it in the hospital because sometimes when you're doing a surgery or a procedure or just when you're trying to treat pain, mm. you get too much pain medication. Someone has an overdose in the hospital. This happens. Oh, okay, yeah. People have different tolerances. So you might use it in the hospital in that case. But it really wasn't something that was um, a tool to help stop overdose on a large scale because it wasn't in the right places. Um, and it also wasn't the best form. It's hard to administer an IV medication. Right. Got to find the vein and everything. Yeah. So um, over the years, two things would then happen to naloxone that would transform it from something that, that was really just used occasionally in the hospital by a medical professional into this sort of wonder drug as we look at it today. Um, the first thing is that it had to be – it had to be – available in other forms. Okay. So it went from just intravenous to something that you could give as an intramuscular injection. Okay. Like you would get a, a flu vaccine. shot, a tetanus shot, a vaccine, yeah. IM. Um, a sub-Q injection just under the skin, like if you give insulin. That's the same kind of thing. Really? Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, and finally, in a nasal spray, as we'll get to. The easiest way, I would say. It's the easiest Squirt way. It, it seems nose. like it would be the trickiest one because don't you have to be like able to inhale to like, don't you have to inhale Mm-mm. it? No? You just squirt it there. Huh. It's absorbed inside the the lining of your nose. You have a lot of vasculature. It's a, a lot of um, blood vessels in your nose. Mm-hmm. And so it easily diffuses into where it needs to go. Yeah. That's actually true for a lot of nasal sprays. There's a little, there's a little pro tip for you. You generally do not need to like snort when you squirt a nasal spray up your nose. Huh. I didn't know that. No. It is best to um, aim it sort of towards the outside border, upper outer mm-hmm. border of your nose, up against the wall, and squirt it. Oh. And if a little bit runs out, that's okay. If you just, like, sniff it, you're just going to swallow it. Well, look at that, Sid. Yeah. So so it's okay. It, we don't need the patient who is receiving the naloxone nasally to sniff it up. Got it. Um, as it became easier to administer— the next thought that arose is, well, I mean, wouldn't it be better if it were at the place where someone actually My had overdose. the overdose? Yeah. yeah. I mean, why Why we need to make it easier to access? Um, most people who, who experience an overdose don't do it in a hospital, you know, um, and you, di- you don't have a lot of time when someone has overdosed to get them the naloxone or get them to the hospital. And you can lose a lot of people in that interim. So um, even though, you know, we had this life-saving medication, it was mainly confined to hospitals. Even after 1983, the World Health Organization added it to its list of essential medicines, Mm -hmm. meaning like these are medicines that everybody needs to have access to all over the world. Naloxone has been one since the year I was born, (laughs) but it took a long time to convince people that we needed to have access to it out in the community. It really started in Italy in 1991. That was the first uh, place where they started, like, giving public access, 
Like once you've received the training, right. you can have some naloxone to take with you. Um, the next places to follow suit would be the UK and Australia. And we've talked about the history of harm reduction in some of these places, yeah. um, especially in the UK, and how like the idea of any positive change, any step in the right direction is worthwhile, no matter how small or, you know, mm-hmm. how far you still are from that recovery part. It's still still the right thing to do. Right. Um, the U.S. would finally start in 2001, the first state. I know. <laughs> the first state. So the year I graduated from high school. Yeah, take your time, guys. Um, my, my entire, <laughs> like, early education. Yeah. Uh, so in New Mexico in 2001, they actually began to allow people to receive training and get a prescription to carry naloxone, to have naloxone out in the community. <laughs> Is there Are there other drugs like that where you get a prescription to carry? I guess EpiPens? EpiPens. Okay. Mm-hmm. Can't think of a lot of other. Do you need special training for epipens? I mean, we just des- we just describe how to do it. Yeah. I mean, if you think about it, like you don't need. I mean, if you give yourself insulin injections, or if you give somebody in your family or friends insulin inject, you know, if you're responsible for that, right. like we teach you how to do it. Like I taught many patients how to do it in the office, or I would have like we had a pharmacist that worked with us, and she was always happy to do it. Somebody would teach you how to do that, mm-hmm. but you didn't need like any sort of class or court, you know, I mean, it's a pretty, a lot of these things are pretty easy. They let people use those wild paddles. You know what I mean? Like this. That's true. People use those. Like those are widely available. That's which is wild. Just get those right where Cooper can get them. Just no problem. And I'll go ahead and say this uh, because I I did want to really make this point. Unlike, I would say a lot of these other things, we just like insulin or an EpiPen, um, Naloxone, what is really great about it is that if you think someone has overdosed, but you're wrong Mm -hmm. and you give them naloxone, it will not harm them. Oh, okay. So it's a a fairly low risk thing to attempt if someone has stopped breathing and you're trying to save their life. Um, Naloxone is a really low risk intervention. In that sense, unlike it, giving someone insulin, you can really do yeah. a lot of harm if you don't do that appropriately memento. or give the right dose. Yes, me- 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 memento is the medical reference the, text for that. i the documentary, memento. So uh, by 2003, San Francisco and Chicago had both, um, those both have well-established harm reduction movements at this point, had started the practice of um, publicly accessible naloxone, trying to get naloxone out of the hospital and into the hands of people who need it. Um, And basically, all you have to do is train someone to, one, recognize an overdose, Mm -hmm. and then two, administer the naloxone. Um, And then three, call 911. Sure. This is actually really important. um, And this is true in the state of West Virginia. I don't know if this is true uh, nationwide, but if you receive training in naloxone administration, you'll find this out. Here, you do have to call for an ambulance after you administer naloxone, or you could be held liable. Oh, weird. Okay. Because I mean, I guess that makes sense, actually. N- naloxone can save a life, but it does wear off. And for some people, once it wears off, the overdose has passed, like they are out of harm's way and they'll mm-hmm. be okay. I have also seen other people who receive the naloxone wake up, are breathing fine, seem okay, and then relapse about a half an hour later or mm-hmm. thereabouts. So it's important that you do call medical professional, like you call for help um, because otherwise you might think you've helped that person and then you leave the scene and they relapse. Oh gosh, okay. Yeah. Um, so that's really important to know. And, and if you do receive training, they would tell you that. 
Uh, so, you know, now it's recommended, like, you should give it to, obviously, well, anybody. Anybody should carry it. But um, people who use drugs or people who are prescribed chronic narcotic therapy should have naloxone because overdoses do happen even if you've been taking a medication for a long time for mm-hmm. a variety of reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, for friends and family members of either people who, you know, are using um, – something like heroin, like somebody with, you know, addiction or someone who is, again, on chronic opiates for some reason. Um, Community members, a lot of local health departments will offer free training sessions. Ours does. Mm -hmm. You just sign up, you go in for free. They teach you, here's what an overdose looks like. Here's how you give naloxone. Try it out. They've got some testers and then they give you naloxone to take with you so that you can carry it with you. Um, and uh, they also, in a lot of these places, would would pass laws to stipulate that, like, you can't be prosecuted for trying to help somebody with naloxone. Okay. You can if you don't fall through, but you can for, I mean, like, you're not you're so not going to get in trouble because you gave somebody it. naloxone. You're saying don't chicken out halfway through if you start it. <laughs> well, I think it's important to know that for a lot of people in an overdose, giving them the naloxone isn't 100% fixed. Right. You know? Because um, I've seen it. I have seen people who've received naloxone and are awake talking to me and then right back out. Is the protocol just another one? Uh, if you're still there in that case, yes, then we give more naloxone. Hmm. In the cases that I have managed, I have had to give more naloxone because they've either been in the hospital or I've been monitoring them um, awaiting EMS. Right. So, uh, but you, that's why you call EMS, right? Um, the, uh, the, the sad part of this story is that Dr. Fishman would actually lose a stepson to addiction when he overdosed on heroin in 2003. Um, His wife, uh, Joy, became somewhat of an advocate for naloxone, um, realizing later as she saw some of the forms that were introduced uh, that how helpful this would have been um, had someone had that wherever it was that he initially overdosed Mm -hmm. um, and he was found outside the ER. Uh, And it was too late by then. But uh, in 2014, Evzio, which is an auto-injector, which means it's like you can look up a picture of it. It's like a little um, cube-type thing that talks to you and tells you what to do. Whoa, nice. I could use that for everything. Yeah. I mean, these it's just like the like you said, like the paddles, like the defibrillators out in the field. You, it just tells you. You open it up and it says, stick this pad here, stick this pad here. Now back away. Now push this button. You know, it tells you all that stuff. Mm. Um it's the same kind of thing. You open it up and it talks to you and tells you exactly where to put it and what to do with it. Um, so that's really unhelpful or really helpful. And then there's also the nasal spray, which oh, is right. the Narcan, which I, I feel like is the most well-known. That w- that's been around since 2015. It's kind of become the Xerox of naloxone. It is. Narcan has become sort of synonymous for the medication, the generic name, which is naloxone. Um but but it's because it's so easy. It's so easy to carry that nasal spray. It's the one that I choose to carry personally. Um, I'm very comfortable with its use. Uh, and they all work well. I mean, the thing is, like, whether you're actually getting, I mean, you might actually get, like, a vial of naloxone and a syringe. Those are out there. We mm-hmm. have those that we hand out. Um, the auto-injector, there's, like, a, nato, a nasal atomizer. I don't see those around a lot, which is slightly different than the Narcan, but same sort of idea. It's a spray. And then the actual... Narcan itself, they all work. Okay. They all work. And again, if you think someone's overdosing, you're not going to harm them by giving them naloxone. 
Um, it's okay to do it again. And they teach you that in the training. Some Sometimes it'll require more than one dose. Do we still have the wild side effects like the hallucinations and what have you? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No. I mean, the problem with naloxone that uh, – I mean, the, the main problem is that as it will stop your overdose, but you also may experience some withdrawal symptoms right. at that time. Um, but like I said, it is also short-lived in that – which is why you have to call EMS after you administer it. It's not going to be in your system for too long, but it would save your life. Um, so I, I would highly advocate like if you – Check out in your area. I know that here in Huntington, it's really easy to receive Narcan training um, and be able to carry Narcan with you. Uh, the um, Our state, West Virginia, has what's called a standing order for Narcan, meaning that you don't have to have a prescription to get it. You can prescribe it to somebody to take with them, but you don't have to have a prescription. You can go to the pharmacy and ask for it. Is it really expensive, like EpiPens? It's not very expensive, and you can get it for free. Uh, at a lot of places, health departments will hand it out for free. Um, the place where I volunteer, Harmony House, hands it out for free. Uh, we have a lot of community organizations that will hand it out for free. It's it's You will find it many places. If it is something that you're interested in, it is not hard to – I mean, like, I just Googled out of curiosity Narcan training near me, and there are tons of different websites that will tell you – where your closest Narcan training is, um, where you can get naloxone. Uh, like th- there's all kinds of getnaloxonenow.org. I mean, there's tons of different places that you can go to find out locally where you could. And it's so easy to be trained. And you might be in a situation where someone has overdosed out in your community and they could die except you're there and you're holding a nasal spray which takes no time to learn how to administer, and you could save their life. Nice. Okay. Yeah. I'll do it. I'll get the training. Get off my back. I'll do do you want, I mean, I can teach you. Don't, oh, but I don't need the training. I can just go get some. I'm just going to get a bunch. I have some. <laughs> I, you're really robbing me of a lot of my agency here, Sid. Okay. I'm sorry. You I go like do it, too. I feel like if this is so important and all your heroes have naloxone, you would have like enlisted me a while ago. I feel like there is a lack of trust and I would like to address it now in a protracted form. I guess you could, you know what, Justin, even you listen. Hey, <laughs> listeners, even Justin McElroy that could be paid to the could ease of use. Learn how to use naloxone and save a life by administering it. Even Justin could do it. Wow. Let's wrap up, Sydney. I feel like we've extended past <laughs> the point where this is entertaining for our listeners. They, you know, they, you know how sensitive they get about their hero, their podcasting hero, Justin McElroy being sort of torn down. And I just, on a personal note, I did want to throw out there, um, our area of the country, and this is not unique to just us. I know there are other areas who have had, um, similar issues, but the, um, Addiction is a, a big problem here in West Virginia, and uh, locally, our harm reduction programs are constantly being threatened by um, real scumbags, <laughs> politicians who refuse to understand the science, who refuse to understand that we're trying to help people um, stay healthier and stay alive and work their way towards recovery on their own terms in their own time um, so that it's something that is long lasting. Uh, and that, you know, naloxone is a huge part of that because it's life-saving. Again, it's life-saving. We, we had a, we had a front-page story. We had a front page of the newspaper this oh week, my folks, gosh. I, where the top story was, well, okay, the story below the fold was that our stupid, morally bankrupt, 
AG, Patrick Morrissey, is suing the Biden administration because there's no border wall to keep opioids out of West Virginia. Because that's how it happened. Mm-hmm. That's why we have a crisis here. That's how it happened. Is it coming up from Mexico? Not, not, not the pill mills and the no, pharmaceutical no, 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 no. manufacturers and that no. Dunce. You absolute dunce. And then above the fold, like above the fold same day, shutting down the the uh, the harm reduction programs had taken effect. Like, yeah, the, the we had I mean, a temporary stay. The ACLU fought heroically to stop the the bill from going into effect, but the so judge yeah, we, well, the, ended the, this, this is, day. Are we saying we need all help? We can. Our harm reduction get. program is still alive. I don't know if you're a local listener, but the rumor went out that ours was closing. It's not closing. We are doing everything we can to keep it alive. But um, if getting naloxone to people who need it is something that um, you care about and you have a couple bucks. Cabell County, the Cabell, the, the county we live in, is participating in um, Free Naloxone Day on September 1st. Um, it's our Save a Life Day, we're calling it. And uh, there's a fundraiser to help us. Uh, basically, the the vast, you can see the breakdown is on the site, but the vast majority of the money we're raising is to just buy Narcan, just to buy as much naloxone as we can to hand out for free to people in the community and to help, you know, educate people to destigmatize addiction and um, encourage people that this this is a problem. And I think that the story about Dr. Fishman and, and, and the unfortunate story about his stepson just underlines that anyone can have addiction. Mm-hmm. It is not a comment on your class, your intelligence, your morality. It has nothing to do with that. It is a medical condition, and it has been experienced by people of all race, religion, creed, and social strata. And I know that if you're from this area, I, you've been personally affected by it, I'm sure, in some way. I know I have family and friends and um, community members, and this is, a, this is a thing you can do. So I would encourage you to um, go get trained in naloxone, mm-hmm. carry naloxone. You could save a life. You talked about the fundraiser, but you didn't say that people could. We have a GoFundMe. Right. Um, If you head to bit.ly forward slash Sawbones Naloxone, just want to make it easy to remember. It's not our fundraiser, but No, it is not. It is not something. It's not my organization. It's not personal. It is an organization that I I work with to help get Narcan out to the community. Sawbones Naloxone, N-A-L-O-X-O-N-E. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast. We hope you've enjoyed yourself. We hope that you're having a, a fun <laughs> hope that you're having a fun summer. I don't know why I said that. It's like the weirdest thing. It's like I'm signing your yearbook as you're listening. Um, I know. We just did a podcast about Narcan. Yeah, I know. I'm just trying to bring up the energy a little bit. Uh, go help if you can, by the way. Uh, uh, thank you so much for listening. Thanks to the taxpayers. Be a hero. Be a hero. Carry Narcan. Carry Narcan. Uh, well, next time we do a live show, we'll just have everybody in, in the crowd. We'll shout it out like, you got your Narcan with you tonight. Get it up in the air. It'll be like the new lighters. Yeah. Well, I mean, you joke, but like for real. I didn't want to joke. No, it's yeah. true. I know. It's a good idea. Destigmatize it. What? You know what we need? You can be a hero. You do can you know be a what, superhero. You want to hear a good idea I just had? People need like cool naloxone, like personalized like carriers. You know what I mean? Like mm. cute. Cute like a little ca- holster? Like a little no, that's kind of like that gets into like keys on the lanyard territory. <laughs> or maybe a holster, I guess. So like something where it's like a carabiner. You need a carabiner, carabiner. with your naloxone on it. 
Okay, well, we'll, we'll <laughs> workshop it. Um, I'm a, we can come up with that. Yeah, thanks to Taxpayers for the Social Medicine Scene Drew and Natural Burger Program. And thanks to you for listening. We appreciate it. That's going to do it for us for this week. So until next time, my name is Justin McElroy. I'm Sydney McElroy. And as always, don't drill a hole in your head. Org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported. Hey, I'm Jordan Morris, creator of the Max Fun scripted sci-fi comedy podcast, Bubble. We just released a special episode of Bubble to celebrate the launch of our new graphic novel. At SF Sketchfest in 2019, we recorded a live show with Allison Becker, Eliza Skinner, Mike Mitchell, Christella Alonzo, and special guests Gene Gray, Jonathan Colton, Jesse Thorne, Nick Weiger, and a bunch of other cool folks. We suspect he'll show signs of mutation when in a state of excitement. Now, Annie matched with him on Tinder, so she's going to act as the honeypot. I do enjoy being called a honeypot. Hey, you know what's better than honey? Gravy. (gasps) Oh, yeah, can I be the gravy sack? Out now on MaximumFun.org and wherever you get podcasts. And pick up the graphic novel at your local bookstore today. Mm.